Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. Insane facts about hell. I entitled this broadcast today is Hell a Literal Place. And here are some insane facts about hell that I'm going to list down further on in this broadcast. To answer it in brief, yes, hell is a literal place. Why am I going to preach? Why did I take a full broadcast schedule to talk about hell, to bring up and highlight the reality of hell? Acts chapter 24 and verse 24, listen to this. And after some days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. So Felix, one of the Roman politicians, summons Paul and he wants to hear what he has to say concerning faith in Jesus Christ. So this is what Paul preached to him. Verse 25, as Paul reasoned, so this is what Paul preached to Festus. He had an opportunity to stand before a politician, one who had much influence, and these are the topics he chose to preach on. He reasoned with him about righteousness, about self-control, and about the judgment to come. And Felix was afraid and answered, go away from now. When I have a more convenient time, I will call for you. Paul has an opportunity, like a golden opportunity, to come before a Roman politician and bring forth something from the word of God to persuade him to get saved. And the very topic he chooses is judgment to come. What awaits all of mankind If they choose to reject Jesus Christ, why do we talk about hell? Well, first and foremost, knowing the reality of hell is going to instill in people a supernatural resistance against spiritual laziness. I've been in the last few broadcasts dealing with apathy and indifference. Most of the time, most of the time, if you're dealing with apathy or indifference or laziness, a lot of the times I'll say, is that there's been a forgetful attitude concerning the eternal destiny of people who don't know Jesus. Many people, one of the greatest hindrances to evangelism, the reason why people don't have a drive, a passion, a zeal, a, a un, un, an insatiable crave to share Jesus is because Most people do not live with the awareness of the reality of hell. That hell is a real place. It is not metaphorical. It is not an allegory that Jesus refers to. It's not a scare tactic that he uses, but ultimately it never, it doesn't even exist. The Bible goes to, it deals at length with the topic of hell. The New Testament, Jesus spoke more on hell than he spoke about heaven. He dealt profoundly with the issue, with the issue, with the reality of hell. And he, he preached on hell more than he preached on heaven. And so if, if Jesus not only mentioned hell once, not only mentioned hell twice, he mentioned hell time and time again. If he made such a great emphasis on the topic of hell, then obviously it's something that we need to pay special attention to. When God brings something up once in his word, you should pay, you should pay attention to that and do it. When God brings something up twice in his word, you should, you should pay special attention to that. 
that thing. If God is constantly revisiting the topic of something and he's constantly bringing up a subject matter and he's constantly pointing and emphasizing a specific thing in the word of God, then you can know and should know that you should pay special detailed attention to that thing you should give yourself over to the study of that thing i never understand why people read certain they 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 read certain favorite parts of the bible that bless them and and make them feel nice giddy on the inside and then they avoid the rest the bible's not a buffet my friend the bible is what god has set before us it's the meal that we have to eat and there's some things you know jeremiah or ezekiel i think it was he ate a scroll and it was sweet in his mouth but bitter in his stomach there are certain parts of the word of God that are very sweet in your mouth they're very sweet and you you gravitate towards them you know it's easy to preach that God is a healer it's easy to preach you don't get much resistance much many times especially when you're out of religious circles and you're just preaching a crusade people love that part it's easy to preach that God is a savior it's easy to preach all of those nice things but there's also another part of the word of God that God is just and there are waits a judgment day where there's a literal place called hell where people are going to spend an eternity there and I'm not going to shy away Paul said it this way I didn't shrink back from declaring to you anything in the word of God he said in Acts chapter 20 and verse 20 I proclaimed it to you openly publicly and I also spoke it to you from house to house and Acts 20 says Paul speaking I am now free and innocent from the blood of all men He said, I'm free and I'm innocent from the blood of all men because I didn't shrink back from even talking about the hard to swallow things in the word of God. The word of God isn't a pick and choose book where you like to highlight your favorite verses. You either believe it all. David said it this way, all thy precepts, all of thy word concerning everything I consider to be truth and I hate every false way. Jesus came full of truth, full of grace and full of mercy but the bible says that he did not shy away from talking about the realities of hell because if you shy away from it what do you create in people churches that don't you know how many pastors you can go to them to their services you can listen and sit in in their church services for 15 years and never even hear them bring up the subject of hell because they don't want to unsettle people they don't want to make people feel uncomfortable they don't want to make people feel like they actually have to do something they don't want to make people feel like God has that side to him almost like they're just trying to show the good side every side of God is good and even the part of hell you'll understand at the end of this broadcast that God people ask all the time how could a loving God send people to hell God never sent anyone to hell God never has he's never had a mission to send people to hell God didn't even create hell for people before I move on to anything else I want to drive this in you you that are watching on live and on the replay you that maybe don't know God or maybe you've you've never understood why God would create hell I want to tell you hell was not created for mankind Jesus said it very clearly in John chapter 14 when he was about to go up into heaven his last few days on earth he said I'm going to heaven now and I'm going to prepare a place for you if it were not so I wouldn't tell you so God sent Jesus 
to make a way where there was no way. You know, people think that God lives in our world. We don't. He doesn't live in our world. We live in his world. And when man committed a cosmic rebellion against God, God is not unjust to, 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 to provide a penalty, a consequence for that. Because he set laws in, in operation. And he's the one that rules the universe. He's the one that sets the laws that rule the universe. You know, Paul said it this way in Romans 9. Who are you, O clay, to say to the potter, why did you do things this way? God, in his infinite wisdom created hell not for mankind for the devil and for his demons that followed him when he took one third of the angels down from heaven when man sinned we made the decision we made the choice we said to god we reject your ways we reject your truth we reject your your law and we're going our own way and the bible says there is a way that seems right unto men but its end is the way of death now god had no obligation to ever send jesus he could have literally just sent us all to hell in that moment he could have just let the earth go until we destroyed each other and then spent an eternity in Gehenna, into the hell flame, the hellfire flames that rule and dominate that area of the dead. But the good news is, is that Jesus Christ was sent not to condemn the world. Jesus wasn't sent to bring condemnation on mankind. Jesus wasn't sent even to judge the world. Jesus actually said, for judgment did I not come. He said, it's actually your own deeds. It's your desire to live in darkness. It's your desire to, re to not live according to God's ways. You've rejected heaven's offer. And as such, it's your own deeds and your own words that will judge you in the day of judgment. Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy men's lives. I came to save men's lives. And so people that say, how could a loving God make a hell? He actually, how could a loving God send people to hell? He actually doesn't send anybody to hell. We sent ourselves to hell and I go back to my point before when we sinned we committed a cosmic rebellion cosmic rebellion against God and we ourselves condemned ourselves we made the decision we sent ourselves well why would God even give a reality called hell why would he even make that part why would he even uh, give us the ability to choose. God gave us the ability to choose because he didn't want a bunch of robots following him. He didn't want a bunch of pre-programmed people that just had no choice. He wanted people that would love him and choose to love him no matter the cost. And so, when, and, and I remind you, we don't live, God doesn't live in our world, we live in his world. And so as such, this is what this is the reality of the universe this is the reality of things and i'm not going to shrink back from talking about the reality of things i'm not going to shy away from talking about the reality of hell because there's some people that are literally watching this broadcast that don't even know that they're on their way there and there's too many christians that are like they love to wrap their arms around people and give them the comfort. And I'm not going to make people comfortable to the point where they spend an eternity in an uncomfortable situation called hell. If I have to become someone's enemy so that they can know the truth, then, far, then, then so be it. I'll do it. 
Paul said it this way, have I now become your enemies because I preached to you the truth? If I have to make enemies to preach the truth, then so be it. Because if I, in becoming the enemy of many, can at least bring certain people. You know, that's what Paul said. He said, my motivation in preaching the gospel, he said, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Because I know the terror of the Lord that awaits those that don't know Christ. I know the terror. I've read the Bible. I've seen the place. It's a place of weeping. It's a place of gnashing of teeth it's a place where the worm the maggot never dies an utter darkness that can even be felt a place of hopelessness and despair and it's a place where God does not desire anybody to go he said that God is not willing that anyone should perish but that all should come to the knowledge of the truth and be spared from the wrath to come so the Bible says God did not appoint us to wrath but up to salvation to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ so before I move on I want to make it very clear to you. God doesn't send anybody here. People choose to go there when they hear the message of the cross and still flash the middle finger to God and say, I will not serve you. They have a response that is negative to the gospel. And as such, you know, the Bible says to those that believe, honor, glory, and peace will be the eternal state. But to those that do not obey the gospel of God and reject the Christ, the, the lifeboat that Jesus, that God sent to this earth so that we can be saved. The Bible says tribulation, anguish, and eternal sorrow awaits them. I don't want that to be your case today. That's why I did this broadcast. This isn't a scare tactic. This is to wake people up. That life is not funfair and life is not material. Life is not matter. This, what we see is actually less real than what awaits us in the spiritual realm. And so people need, that's why Paul said, I know the terror of the Lord, so I work hard to persuade men. I work hard. This whole broadcast is to persuade you to drop the things, that's the sin that so easily entangles you. That boyfriend you've been living with, that, why, that, that, that girlfriend you've been living with, that, those taxes that you haven't been paying, that life of sin that you haven't gotten rid of, you're like 99% in, but you're still 1% loving the world and appetite for the flesh and desiring to fulfill the lusts of the flesh. I'm telling you, you are living on a very, very dangerous, dangerous line. That you, you're, you're, you know, there's people that say all the time, how... You know, can I really go and watch that movie and still make heaven? Can I really? I don't want to live so close to the gate of hell where I barely miss it and still make heaven and risk making heaven as such. When there's a life you can live where you can know that you know hell's not your portion, I know that no matter what happens, if Jesus Christ comes back today, heaven is my destination. People ask, how close can I get to hell without offending God? Why don't we start asking, how close can I get to heaven without being like Enoch and being taken up and be not? Because God took him. So why do we preach on hell? Number one, I'm preaching on hell because Jesus spoke more on hell than he spoke on heaven. And he emphasized it. And he made it very clear, with clear terms, what hell was like. Number two, why do I preach on hell? To pull others out of the fire of hell. To let people wake up and say, you know what? It's not worth it. This gambling addiction, it's not worth it. This alcohol addiction, it's not worth it. Speaking to my wife like she's a, 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 a rag, it's not worth it. Living in unforgiveness. You know how many people are going to go to hell? Not because 
of anything else other than they refuse to forgive someone. Jesus said, the one that refuses to forgive, neither will our Father in heaven forgive them, and he will cut him in two and appoint his portion with the unbelievers where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. This broadcast, I pray that it stirs in you a desire. No matter what they've done to you, I'm going to forgive. I'm going to forget. And I'm going to move on. There's no sin that is worth living for. There's no sin that is worth indulging in. When you understand what awaits, what awaits people in hell. Number four, Acts chapter 20 and verse 20 and 27. I said it before. Paul said, I didn't shrink back to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Ezekiel 3 talks about a vision he had where God showed him that he had to go and warn the wicked. And tell them that they should turn from their ways lest they come into a place of destruction. And God said to Ezekiel, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they should turn from their ways. And he said, Ezekiel started to see, uh, Ezekiel started to see, uh, hear from God. And God was saying to him that if you don't go and warn the wicked, their blood's going to be required at your hands. And so there's a penalty. There's actually a punishment on our behalf. There's, there's, there's a, a a lack of crowns we're going to have in heaven if we don't actually follow out this ministry of warning the people of this impending doom that awaits them unless they repent. The Bible says very clearly, if you don't warn the wicked, their blood will be required at your hands. It's not that God's going to punish you in heaven, but there's, you know, there's levels in heaven. And I'm going to talk about that there's level of the levels that there are in hell as well. Because there's levels of punishment in hell. But there's also levels of reward in heaven. I, want, I don't want my life to be spent on chance and just wasting it for whatever. Things that aren't eternal. I want to do everything that I can to store up treasures and riches in heaven. And if that includes warning people of an impending doom that awaits them if they don't turn, then so be it. So be it. You know, I'm reminded of a story. Lester Sumrall, he said, I had a vision when he was younger. And uh, he, he, he had an open vision. It was like an, an open vision. is like when you, you, you feel like this is all real. Although he might have just been in his bedroom or something praying. But he felt that he can walk, he can talk. He felt like he was in a totally different place. Paul says it this way. I don't even know if I was in the body or out of the body. He had a totally, a very real vision. And he said, I saw this like conveyor belt. And there were people on that belt, on that road, that were from every part of the world. There were black people, white people, Asian people, uh, native people. There were from every walk of life. There were people from the Middle East. There were people from from South Africa and South America and Australia. And he saw them going on this one way, this highway that was moving towards a place where there was smoke coming out from the ground. And he went and he followed them and he looked over and from there he can hear the screeching screams of people that were in torment and were in, a, in horrible pain and anguish. And he started to cry out to God as these people helplessly were just falling over into this place, this lake of fire. And he cried out to God saying, Lord, make it stop. Stop the belt. Put a stop on it. And the Lord said, I can't stop it until you go and tell them to believe. To, to, until you, told, you go and tell them the gospel. You preach the gospel to them. Lester Samuel, at that point, you know, he had just gotten saved. So he wasn't like the most sanctified God. He said, I, I don't like those people. You know, they're not like me. 
You know, I'm American. I, I, I don't really want to go and tell those people. And the Lord had blood to begin gushing out of his hands. And he started to see blood just gushing out. And it started to freak him out. And he said, God, make this stop. He said, you, I will not make it stop until you go. For if you don't go, their blood shall be required at your hands. I tell you, there is a penalty for not preaching the gospel. Just like there's a reward in preaching the gospel and getting the word out, there's a penalty in not preaching the gospel, in not telling people that there awaits a, a, a consequence that is eternal. You know, Jesus, John 3.16, the, the famous gospel verse, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should what? Not perish. So even Jesus in his ministering of the gospel did not, did not shy away, did not uh, ignore the fact of this eternal state of perishing that awaited sinners. The wages of sin is death. Remember, the wage, Paul said it, the wages of sin is death. There's no escaping hell. There's no, I'm going to get through the, the false views on hell that there's annihilationism and there's this uh, probationism and restorationism and I'm going to go through all those false views on hell that people think there's going to be like this second chance or there's going to be another, you know, uh, uh, there's going to be a purging in hell that God's actually going to cleanse us so that we one day can make heaven afterwards. That it's not an, eternally dur uh, an eternal duration uh, of penalty and punishment. That's that's heresy that's the devil see the reason why the devil doesn't want a message like this going out is to get people to ignore the reality to get people to not focus in and zone in that there's a penalty there is a consequence for actions that are a violation of God's laws that life is not just doing whatever you want and at the end God's gonna say you know what I love you all the same I, you know I, I am the type of preacher that tells people you should come as you are but if you stay as you are, you know, I'm going to go through the types of people that are in hell. Who will be in hell? Let me go through it now. Who will be in hell? One, Satan will be in hell. Satan, the Bible says, will be cast into the lake of fire. The false prophet will be there. The beast will be there. And demons will be there. All of those that followed Satan from, the fall, from his fall in heaven and all throughout history will be in hell. Fallen angels will be there. Number two, sinners will be there. People that rejected Christ, people that, that heard the message of the cross and said, you know what, I had someone, you know, one of the reasons why I felt stirred up to do this broadcast was because on TikTok, or I think it was Instagram Reels the other day, I, I let out a video and someone actually wrote back, I will gladly go to hell. Someone wrote back and, you know, obviously with a smirking tone thinking that it doesn't exist. Well, I could just, I, I don't take any pleasure in saying this, but I could just imagine his face on Judgment Day when he realizes that that Instagram reel was actually the hook that God was sending to bring him into the boat. But instead of taking it, he mocked at it and thought it was a fairy tale and scoffed the message. And then on Judgment Day, there's no going back. There's no reversal of decision. It's appointed for men to die once and then comes the judgment. Sinners, the wages of sin is death. And until you receive the free gift of God, which is Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, that death, death cannot be reversed. Number three, wicked people will be in hell. People that deliberately worked with the devil in trying to prevent the kingdom from advancing. People that were in league with Satan. 
that joined hell's plans to afflict, to oppress, and to suppress other people. That type of person, that category of human is going to be in hell. Number four, self-proclaimed Christians who have had no change or regeneration will be in hell. It's not enough to just call yourself a Christian. I'm not, I'm no more, you know, someone is no more a Christian who goes to church than someone who walks into a McDonald's and is a McDonald's employee. Just because you went to McDonald's does not put you on the payroll and doesn't entitle you to the benefits of those who work at McDonald's. Just because I sit in a garage on a chair does not make me a car. Even so, proclaiming yourself to be a Christian, James said it this way, if you have faith but have no works, that faith actually will not be able to save you. That wasn't saying that you earn your salvation by the works that you do. Salvation is not earned. Salvation is not something you arrive at. Salvation is not something you can obtain by yourself because of things that you've done and things that you don't do. Salvation is received by grace through faith. It is not our works. It is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. But I want to make it clear to you. So people make James 2 and Paul's letters to be like contradictory. Well, Paul's saying we're saved by grace through faith. It's not from works. And then James is saying that faith without works can't save you. So which is it? Paul was highlighting the fact that the position that you receive at salvation, that you being made alive together in Christ Jesus, that didn't come because you gave some astronomical amount of money to a charity or to a church. That came because Jesus came and poured out his blood for us. And in doing so, all we have to do is believe and repent. And the Bible says, ye shall be saved. For the promises to you and to those that are afar off, those that call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And that faith comes by hearing. But James highlights the fact that when that salvation takes place, there has to be an overflow. There has to be an outflow of works. There has to be a change. There has to be an alteration in the life that you live. You can't say, I said this the other day, I can't be on a highway walking and I'm walking to work and I get there 30 minutes late. And the boss says, why are you late? And I said, well, I was on the highway and I got hit by a truck. And so as a result, I, I was late. He would say, you're a liar because you don't look like you've been hit by a truck. You don't smell like you've been hit by a truck. You certainly don't have the outward uh, display or evidence that you've been hit by a truck. You just took your time walking on that highway to get to church because there's no evidence that you've been hit by a truck. It's the same. There's a lot of people that hang around trucks. They hang around Jesus. They're walking on this highway but they've never had an encounter with Christ. They've never had the regeneration. Jesus said it this way in John 3, unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. So it's not enough to just be a self-proclaimed Christian. Well, I, I prayed that prayer once at an altar, and so I'm a Christian. Yet you're still, you're, you're still living with that boyfriend. You're still living with that girlfriend. You're still uh, cheating on your taxes. You're still... 
you know, watching all kinds of stuff that don't glorify God. You're still living a life of hell on the earth. There's been zero change in what you do and how you think in what you say. And as a result, because someone told you you prayed a prayer once at an altar, you think that you're going to make heaven all the same because I'm a Christian, because all that is required to make heaven is just believe. No, even my friend, I'm not going to shy away from telling you this today. Even the demons believe and they tremble in hell. The Satan believes in God and he trembles and understands the authority of heaven over him. It's not enough to just, you know, there's many people that say, I go to church. Having a membership at a church isn't the same as being born again into the kingdom of heaven. Being a, a volunteer at your church is not the same as being a servant of Christ. There's a lot of people I know that volunteer at church. They serve on parking duty. They serve as ushers and they're not saved. I'm not trying to be judgmental. It's just that when you have a lifestyle that is closely associated and looks more like hell than it looks like heaven, then you, you know, people say all the time, well, you, God knows my heart. You know, I know I'm sleeping with some guy that's not my, my husband, but God knows my heart. Your heart. The Bible says the Lord God is a God of knowledge and by him actions are weighed so your actions actually reveal what's in your heart so you can't have evil actions let me read this john chapter 3 john chapter 3 because this is going to make it amply clear john chapter 3 this is the words of jesus so if you think i'm being too harsh then listen to what jesus said he who believes in christ or in jesus is not condemned but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. So Jesus says those that don't believe fall under condemnation. And he says this is the reason why we can know they don't believe. This is the condemnation. For the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. So they showed that their allegiance was not with God, but with the devil because of their actions. Their deeds were evil. Their evil deeds revealed the position of their heart. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. That's why there's some of you watching and you've stayed on only by the grace of God. You've wanted to X out a long time ago because you know that you're not living right with God. But I didn't do this broadcast to release condemnation on you. I'm trying to expose the light because when you expose the light, you can remove the impurities and stand perfect and holy and complete before God. And there's been a tug in you. I want to X out. I want to X out. But you haven't. Because the Bible says those that practice the light and hate the light, they don't want to come near the light. There's the flesh that doesn't want to come near the light because the light exposes the impurities. But I know the grace of God has kept you on this broadcast for a very reason. And it's not to burn you with condemnation. It's to put conviction, conviction of sin, conviction of righteousness, and conviction of judgment so that from today you can leave this broadcast knowing that my sins are forgiven, that my sins have been purged, knowing that I'm born again, knowing that from today I'm receiving power from heaven to live to walk in a manner fully pleasing God and I'm not going to live my life I've spent enough of my old past lifetime in indulging in the deeds of the flesh from today I'm not living for the will of the flesh I'm going to live for the will of God in Jesus name so saying I go to church isn't going to get you into heaven 
It's not enough to have a membership at a church. Do you have citizenship in heaven? It's not enough to just say, I attend church on Sunday. That makes you no more a Christian than sitting in a McDonald's makes you a hamburger. There has to be a regeneration in your heart. There has to be what the Bible calls a born again experience, whereby your old sinful heart is removed and God puts a new heart in you where there's new desires, new passions, and new and, and you uh, knew everything. Number two, saying, I know, the, I know the Bible. I know the Bible. That doesn't get you saved. Satan quoted scripture and he's going to hell. Saying, I believe. That's not going to get you saved any more than demons believe and tremble. Saying, I volunteer at a soup kitchen. Ain't going to help you because there's a lot of sinners that do the same. There's only one thing that can take you out of the hell fire. And that is faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible says... All men have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. And for this reason, the Son of God was made manifest to destroy the work of the devil, the work of sin. The Bible says, I am the way. Jesus said, I am the way. He didn't say, I'm a way amongst ways. See, people, they criticize this message because they say, that's very intolerant for you. You know, it's very harsh of you. You're so narrow-minded. You're so small in your scope. You're so narrow-minded in your viewpoint and in your, your perspective on life. How could you preach a loving God and tell people that there's only one way to heaven? How could you tell people that adhere to another religion that live good lives and do good things that they're going to go to hell? My brother and sister, you, it's not about our good works. God said in the Old Testament, even our best works on our best day without Christ are filthy rags. And if you study the actual word used in the Hebrew, it has reference to a dirty tampon, a used tampon. I'm sorry for being very graphic, but that's just, the, that's just what it says. A used dirty tampon. That's what our works without Christ look like to God. It's not something he wants around him. It doesn't matter how much you give. The centurion... Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 was a man who gave charity and built people, built the Jews a synagogue and he gave much alms and charitable gifts to the poor. And yet still in that state, God sent an angel and said, it's not enough. You, it's the Tower of Babel syndrome. We're trying to build our way back to heaven. We're trying to work our way back into relationship with God. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. The Bible's very clear. I am the way, Jesus said. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody gets to the Father unless they come through me. Well, that's very insensitive of you. If I was asking, if I lived in an area, pretty uh, secluded area, and there was only one road, after, you know, get through the highways, get through the streets, there was one specific road that you had to travel on that got to my house. And you, and you called and asked for direction. And I told you. And I said, there's just, at the end, you can't take any other road. You have to take this road or else you're going to go into an eternal loop. If you want to come to my house, this is the road you need to take. There's no alternatives. And you just said, well, that's very insensitive of you. I'm going to do it my way. And you got in your car and you made your way. And then instead of taking that road, you said, you know what? I'm going to go my own way. I, 
I know there's alternatives to this. I'm going to come up with a different way to get to the same destination. And you try different roads and different highways and different pathways. You would be in an eternal state of frustration. You never break out of it. Was it insensitive me of me to tell you that there's one way? No. It was helping you. The reason why I preach this exclusive gospel that there's only one way to heaven and that's through the shed blood of Jesus isn't to be insensitive. God didn't send Jesus, like I said, to be insensitive. He tried, he's, that Jesus was God's way, his method of showing the world there's only one way. And the thing is, it's, the Bible says there is a broad way that leads to destruction. There's a lot of other ways you can take. There's a lot of easy ways and they lead to destruction, to peril, and to tribulation. But Jesus said there is a way. It is a narrow way. And the scripture says we are to strive to enter by the narrow way. Let me read this. Luke chapter Luke chapter 12. Listen to what the Bible says. Luke chapter 13, verse 24, Jesus speaking. Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say, will seek to enter and will not be able. They're going to try and enter through. That's what Jesus was saying. They're going to try and enter by their own ways. They're going to try and enter carrying their sin. They're going to try. It's a narrow way. There's a lot of things you're going to have to drop off. You can't come in to that narrow way carrying the load of your sin. It has to go. It has to go. And Jesus provided a way out of that through his blood. People are going to try to make their way up into heaven by giving money. There's so many people I know, they just write up a check every year to the church thinking that that's going to give them right standing to God. There are many that are going to strive to enter through the narrow way and they're not going to make it because the only way to go there is go there is through repentance and faith towards God. When once the master of the house has risen up, he will shut the door and you'll begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. But he will answer and say to you, I don't know you where you're from. Then this, this is like... This is like chilling. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence. And you even taught in our streets. But Jesus will say, I tell you the truth. I do not know you where you are from. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and yourselves thrust out. They will come from east and west and north and south and sit down in the kingdom of God. And there are those who are last who will be first and there are those who are first will be, who will be last. They, the Bible says they replied saying, we sat in your presence and we even listened to your teachings. There's so many people, this is a very sad thing I'm about to say, that are sitting in church week after week, Sunday after Sunday, and they even attend Wednesday night prayer sometimes, and they are still trusting in their own selves to be justified before heaven. And there hasn't been a change, and there hasn't been a regeneration. I don't want to preach an easy gospel. I preach the way to heaven is easy. It's accepted in Christ but the gospel will cost you everything the Bible says unless you first deny yourself pick up your cross and follow me you are not worthy unless you forsake all Jesus said and put your hand to the plow and not look in another direction you are not worthy to be called my disciples Jesus said there's people that are going to be around me there's people that are going to be around the church there's people that are going to sit and listen to gospel stories their entire life and it never sinks past their mind into their heart there's too many intellectual Christians we don't need and the world doesn't need a bunch of intellectual Christians we need and this world needs a generation of Holy Ghost baptized in fire 
here, regenerated, old things passed away, all things made new type of Christian who have forsaken this present world and are living their lives with their eyes set on above. You can't say that you've had a born-again experience if you never think about God. I'm sorry, you can't say that you're born again if you never have any desire to see other people saved. If you never have any desire or any thought that crosses your mind on a daily basis about God. I'm not saying that some days you can get busy and whatnot and carried away that you're not saved. I'm saying if that's the style of life, if that's the pattern in your life, there's something wrong. Christ is my life. When I gave my life to him and he came and lived in me, everything changed. Everything changed. I've never been the same since. Never been the same since. And so I... Be careful that you're not one of those that are hanging around religion because religion ain't going to save you. Only the blood of Jesus can do that. Let me move on. Is hell a literal place? Hell is a literal place. It is not figurative and it's not metaphorical for a place of of pain. It's not a metaphorical pain. It's not some uh, allegorical place. It is a literal place. Where is hell located? You can find many scriptures, and I'll read a few. Number 16, to discover where hell is located. Hell is, has a specific location that is clearly explained from the Bible. Numbers chapter 16 and verse 32. Listen to this. Now it came to pass as he finished speaking all these words that the ground split apart under them. So where did it split apart? It split apart under them and the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the men with Korah and with all their goods. So they all, so they and all those with them went down alive into the pit and the earth closed over them and they perished from among the, the assembly. And Israel, who were, and all Israel who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, lest the earth swallow us up also. So the Bible talks about the sons of Korah being swallowed up from the earth. Well, if you're being swallowed up from something, if the earth opened and the earth swallowed them up and then closed, that means that this place called the pit, which um, there are many terms for hell, and I'll get through them, but one of them, one of them is Sheol, which doesn't necessarily mean doesn't necessarily mean uh, the place of where there's fire and, 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 and worms and all that. Sheol just says just means the, the, the place of the dead. But this is talking about Hades, the place, the pit, talking about Hades, opening up and swallowing these people. That's the place of fire. That's the place of brimstone. That's the place where the worm does not die out. The maggot does not die out. And the scripture says that it opened up and swallowed them up. Meaning that this place of Hades, this shale Hades, is a place that's inside, inside the earth, beneath the earth, located in the center of the earth. Psalm 63 and verse 9. I'll give you a few scriptures just to prove this point. Psalm 63 and verse 9. This is the psalmist speaking. So this isn't just a, something, you know, I, I only wrote down maybe four or five scriptures, but this is all throughout the Bible. So it's not just an Old Testament thing. You can, you can even see things in the New Testament. Psalm 63 and verse 9. 
But those who seek my life to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. He's talking about hell there, the hell that we know of, the, 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 the place of fire and torment. Bible says that they shall go into the lower parts of the earth. Isaiah 26 and verse 19. Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 19. This is what the Bible says. Your dead shall live together with my body. And they shall arise, awake and sing, you who dwell in the dust. So this is actually talking about the earth giving up the dead one day when we have to present, when they're going to be presented before God for judgment. For your dew is like the dew of herbs and the earth shall cast out the dead. So it says the earth is going to cast out, vomit out the dead. The Bible says in Revelation, let me read it. Revelation chapter 20. So this is in the New Testament now. Revelation chapter 20 and verse and verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to the works by the things which were written in the books. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, who were in them. Ezekiel 31, 14. Ezekiel chapter 31 and verse 14. So that no trees. This is the wrong scripture. Oh, yes. For they all, Ezekiel 30, 31, 14. For they have all been delivered to death, to the depths of the earth, among the children of men who go down to the pit. So the Bible makes it very clear that hell is a physical location located within the bowels of the earth. We read it. The Bible talks about the earth opening up and giving out the dead. The Bible talks about the earth opening up and swallowing up the dead. The Bible talks about the people that sought David's life being sent down into the lowest depths of the earth, into the pit. So most people, now understand this, most people that are walking on the surface of the earth don't even understand or know that there's a whole world going down under. There's a whole, there's a bunch of things happening down under that we don't see it, but there is, th those people that died, you know, there's, <laughs> and I'm going to get through it, and let me go through it now. There are many false views on hell. And number one false view on hell is annihilationism. That people that die just cease to exist. People that died outside of Christ just cease to exist. They just, they, they no longer are. They no longer are a being. They just, they, they go into this forgetfulness, this eternal bliss. That they just cease to function. They no longer exist. That's one of the false views that there is on hell. That, and, and it's used by the devil to like get people to think, well, that's not such a bad thing. You know, I'll just, that's what atheism believes in. Annihilationism. That if we re ex reject Christ, if we reject the gospel, if we never believe in God, that the worst thing that's going to happen to them, they believe, is that they'll just not, they'll not live. They'll just ex cease to exist. They'll go into an eternal state of darkness where they're no longer sentient, no longer aware, no longer cognition. Cognition. Number two false view on hell is restorationism. This is the view that people that die outside of Christ will go to hell for a time. 
But hell is only a temporary experience in order to purge them from their sin, to cleanse them so that they can be presented holy before God. Now this is super heretical because by you saying that, you're actually telling me that hell's fire has more potency than the blood of Jesus Christ. That the blood of Jesus wasn't enough to attract people to heaven and cleanse people that Somehow, some people need hellfire to purge them of the impurities of sin, to awaken them to the reality of heaven and then bring them in. Restorationism is a heresy that teaches people that they're going to have a second chance because hell is not the eternal judgment. Remember, I said it before, Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed unto all men first to die, and then comes the judgment, and the judgment is an eternal thing. The judgment, the duration remains the same. It, it's eternity. There's not going to be any second chances. Number three, false view on hell, which is closely related to number two, is second probationism. This is that God will give everybody a second chance to receive Christ in hell. That God, in His mercy, is going to say, you know what, I feel bad, I hear the cries, I hear the tears, I hear the anguish, I hear the torment and the torture they're going through, let me give them a second chance. Is there anybody that would like to recant their current position and accept my gospel offer? That is, that is a demonic, the Bible talks about in the last days there are going to be many that give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. And this is one of those doctrines of demons because it gives people the false impression that after death, there's still going to be a second chance. That death, you know, I don't have to prepare to meet God because even after death, I'll have another chance. God in His eternal mercy is going to give me a second chance. And it puts people at rest. The gospel isn't to put people at rest. The gospel does comfort the afflicted. But it should afflict the comforted the gospel should comfort the afflicted but it should also afflict those that have comfort in their sin it should wake people up it should sound an alarm it should bring to people an urgency to make right amos the prophet says prepare thyself to meet thy god you should live every moment in light of eternity because tomorrow's not promised Jesus can come back at any moment. And if you're not in Christ, tomorrow's definitely not promised. Life is but a vapor here today and gone tomorrow. There's no promise of tomorrow. There's no guarantee if you're outside of Christ that you're going to live 70, 80, 90 years, 100 years. The devil, you're still under the, the governing uh, regime, the tyrannical regime of the devil. He can wipe you out at any time. Because you've submitted to his laws and his decrees. And so you're not promised tomorrow. The Bible says there was a man who built bigger barns to store up his crops because he had a good year and he wanted to save up for retirement. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Hey, you fool, this night your soul is required of you. Any night your soul can be required of you. This second probationism gets people to live at rest with the thought of eternity. Number four, heresy and false view on hell is universalism. There was a book writ written by someone who started off well and then really went off into the, into the deep end of, of heresy when he wrote a book called Love Wins. That at the end of time, God is pretty much going to say, I was kidding. 
Hell was just a fictional place. I wanted to scare you into my arms. And since it still didn't work, I love you too much to send you there. Everybody's going to make heaven, no matter your choices. Even Satan himself is going to have a universal mercy shown him. That's gonna, he's going to come back into the arms of God. And there's going to be this big party day in heaven where God's going to say, I was only kidding and that no, nobody will spend eternity in hell. There, that it was all just smoke and, and smoke screens and, and, just, and a, a ploy to scare people into heaven. That everyone's finally going to be saved because God would never, ever bring a literal hell. Well, let me tell you, Romans 6.23 says very clearly that the wages of sin is death. And the free gift of God is life eternal by Christ Jesus. So the Bible doesn't ignore, it doesn't say there's going to be a, a, an alleviation at the end of time from the wage of sin. The Bible says there is a wage that comes as a result of men's unrepented sin. And the wage, the reward of their actions and the consequences of their deeds is death. And death, understand this, death in the Bible has several meanings. Death, if you study in the Hebrew and in the Greek, actually just means to be separated from. So there's three types of death in the Bible. There is physical death, that's being separated. Your soul and spirit is separated from your body at physical death. There is spiritual death. This is when we were separated from God. People live that are outside of Christ in spiritual death, death here on the earth. But then there is the eternal death. The second death, spoken of in Revelation chapter 20, it is the second death that Jesus says is an eternal state of separation from God's goodness, from God's mercy, and God's grace. Universalism tells people that there's never going to be a second death. That ultimately the first, the spiritual death that we have is going to be solved at the end of time. God's going to resurrect everybody no matter what they've done, which goes directly against the teachings of Jesus that said there are many that are going to come to the resurrection of just, of, 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 of um, a resurrection of justification, a resurrection of life, and then there are many who are going to come to a resurrection of damnation. So people, when you die a physical death, they sow your body. Paul said it's an earthly tent that is sown into the grave, into the pit. But your soul and your spirit don't just go. There's people that believe in soul sleeping, that you just sleep. And those that, that, um, that don't know Christ, they're going to sleep eternally. Just in this eternal state of rest. And those who do know Christ will be resurrected to live eternally with, with God in heaven. That's a heresy as well. Soul sleeping is a demonic doctrine because it tells people, you know, that's where rest in peace comes. Nobody's resting in peace. There's a lyric from a, a song that I, I listened to when I first got saved that says, you're, you know, because th at the time everybody was saying YOLO, YOLO, you only live once, you only live once, so make the best of it, just do it, you know, live for now. That's, that is a satanic slogan that hell has perpetrated on the earth to get people to think that we should live our best life now. You don't only live once, you live twice. Everybody's going to live twice. And some people are going to end up holy and some people are going to end up hot. That was the lyric. You, don't you only live twice. Some are going to end up holy and some are going to end up hot. The reality of the situation is that there's going to be a resurrection of all. Some are going to be resurrected to an eternal state of damnation. 
that their soul and their spirit that rejected Christ are in Hades right now, the temporal state of torture, but one day they're going to be resurrected in their bodies and cast into a lake of fire for an eternity. But those that are in Christ, you know, Luke 16 talks about the rich man and Lazarus. That Lazarus was brought up into Abraham's bosom. Jesus was talking about the state of those that died before, before he was raised from the dead. Christ died, went into the lowest. He led captivity captive. What did he mean by that? When someone died in, uh, in faith, died righteous, looking forward to the Messiah. They put their faith in God that he'd provide a Messiah. In the Old Testament, David, Abraham, they were, the Bible says they believed God and it was counted to them for righteousness. Those that died in righteousness in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, they went to a place, it's in Sheol in the sense that it's in the place of the dead, but there was a place called paradise, or as Jesus referred to, uh, the place where Abraham was like a, a, a ruler in that area. People call it Abraham's bosom. It was a place called para paradise where those that were in righteousness, died in the Old Testament, were temporarily stored away for a time. It was a place of rest. It was a place where they can commune, a place where they can fellowship, a place of not torment, but a place of rest and comfort. But then the rich man dies, which by the way, this isn't a parable because Jesus never used real names in parables. He always used uh, figurative people. But in this particular parable or story that he's telling, he uses real names. So we know that it wasn't a parable. It wasn't a story he was alluding to. This was a legitimate uh, uh, story. This was, a, this was an, a legitimate historical uh, happening that happened throughout history and he says this rich man dies and he goes into a place of torment that is the place of Hades that is the place of darkness the place of punishment the place of destruction the place of 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 torture and state of 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 uh state of of calamity and anguish so there's a difference. You know, Jesus told the man on the, uh, the thief on the cross, today I tell you, you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't say today you'll be with me in the kingdom of heaven. He said today you'll be with me in paradise because the very moment Jesus died, that's exactly where he went. He went down to the lowest to preach to the captives because those people, Abraham and all of them, they were technically still in captivity to death. They were captivity to, to the place of the grave. The devil still had them in captivity. Jesus goes down to preach to the captives. I'm the Messiah. I'm your king. Now let's go. He led captivity captive. They ascended on high and they were brought to heaven. Now in the New Testament, anybody that dies in Christ doesn't go to paradise, doesn't go to Abraham's bosom. They go straight up into the kingdom of heaven. They go into, into God's presence. But those that die outside of Christ, they go into a place called, into a place called Sheol. Let me read to you five departments of the underworld. Five departments of the underworld. These are like different departments within the place of the dead. Number one, there's Tartarus. Tartarus was the place that's mentioned in Jude, chap, uh, Jude verse 6 and 7, 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. 
These are, this is the place where the fallen angels, those that disobeyed the commandment of God, were kept under chains of darkness and affliction for eternal punishment. It is a special prison prepared for fallen angels who sinned before the flood. These are not for humans. These aren't even for demons. This is like fallen angels uh, that are kept in chains of darkness forever until the judgment of the, of the great day. Number two, there's paradise. This I just spoke about. Paradise is the place, a temporary place of relief and comfort where Old Testament saints were sent to awaiting for Jesus who when he died came and preached to them. He led captivity captive. He brought them out of the captivity of Sheol and they ascended on high with him into, into heaven. The dwelling place of the righteous after physical death in the Old Testament where they were held captive by the devil against their will until Christ conquered death, hell, and the grave. And it is now empty. There's nobody there because those that die in Christ now go straight to heaven. Number three, there's Hades. Matthew 18, uh, 16, 18 talks about the gates of Hades. Luke chapter 16, the story of the rich man and Lazarus talks about the rich man being brought down into Hades. Hades was the torment department of hell. It's where wicked souls are kept under torture, awaiting the day of their eternal judgment, which will be after the end of the millennial reign of Christ. Number four is the abyss or the bottomless pit. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, it was referred to Abaddon, which is referred to in Luke chapter 8, 26 and 31. You hear this, you, you, uh, Jesus refers to the bottomless pit, refers to the abyss. This was an abode of demons. This is where some angelic beings are stationed there. There's no, there's no humans there. It is um, the Old Testament equivalent of, of Abaddon. It is a place of demons. It is a place of satanic activity number five department of the underworld will be the eternal lake of fire revelation chapter 20 and verse 6 eternal hell and perdition for all fallen angels demons wicked men sinners it is oftentimes referred to in the um new testament as uh i wrote it down here in greek i don't have it here in the Greek, yes, limnen tu puros, which is the lake of fire, the eternal state of damnation for all that reject Christ. So those are five places or departments within hell uh, that exist in the netherworlds. Now, let me move on to characteristics of hell. This is where it gets pretty interesting. What is hell like according to, the dark, according to the Bible? Number one, hell is a place of darkness. 1 Samuel chapter 2. What is hell like according to the Bible? 1 Samuel chapter 2 verse 9. The Bible says, He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked shall be silent in darkness. Hell is a place of darkness. The Bible says it's a darkness that can even be felt. 2 Peter chapter 2. And verse 4, the Bible says, 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. There's people, especially Bill, Bill Weiss, who um, I've read his book, 23 Minutes on Hell, uh, 23 Minutes in Hell, where he documents his experience of going to hell. And he talks about, how the only light in hell is the flames 
that are burning people. But outside of that, when you're like away from the flames, it's just utter darkness. It's just full of darkness. There's no light. You can't see people's faces. You can't see people. You can't even see three feet in front of you. The Bible says that it is a cast. The, the Bible says Jesus said, cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. It is a place of, I mean, just think of it. God is light. In him, there's no darkness at all. And so it's only natural since God's not there that hell is a place of no light, of outer darkness, of a supernatural darkness. You know, we, you can close the lights in your, your room or whatever and shut the blinds off and you'll have experienced a level of darkness. But there's a darkness that can even be felt. I've never felt a darkness where I can like, I can feel it in my spirit. You know, no matter how dark of a place a room might be. But hell talks about a darkness that even gets into the core of your being. Where it puts on you a sense of hopelessness and despair. Number one, place of darkness. Hell is a place of darkness. Number two, hell is a place where there's degrees of punishment. Now, I want to make this clear before I move on. The duration of the punishment is the same for all. It is eternal. There's no 100 million years and then God's going to like bring you up for parole. It is an eternal place of punishment. However, the punishment differs. Matthew eleven twenty, Jesus talking to the people said that it'll be more tolerable for, the, uh, for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for you. He says, what are you chosen? You've been, or Bethsaida. You've been brought up up, to, up high to heaven, but thou shalt be brought low to Hades. For if the people of Tyre and Sidon had heard what I said, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes, and it will be more tolerable for them in the day of judgment than for you. So the Bible talks about levels of hell, where it will actually be more tolerable than other levels within hell. Hebrews 10, 29 says, of how much worse punishment do you suppose you, uh, they will be counted worthy who have trampled the, the blood, who have trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which they were sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace. So the Bible says there's actually worse punishments for certain individuals. These are people that preach hyper grace, no matter how you live your life. Doesn't matter what you do, your spirit's safe. So live your best life now. Sow your body in the deeds of the flesh. Sow into corruption. Doesn't matter what you do. Doesn't matter how much you sin. Your spirit's the thing that's saved. And you're, you know, that's called Gnosticism. It's a heresy that was prevalent in the Corinthian church. That's why he says your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. So you shouldn't use your body to do whatever. Glorify your body and your spirit, which belong to God. You're not your own. The Bible says that people that encouraged Romans 1 says not only do they approve not only do they they indulge in those wicked deeds they approve such as practice them these are people that that promote sin knowing the truth they insult the spirit of grace they call it grace God forgives your past present and future sins no matter how you live God forgives repented sin and that's the only sin that God forgives and so these people insult the spirit of grace and the Bible says they'll have more punishment than others Matthew 23, 14, Jesus rebuking the Pharisees and the scribes, calling them hypocrites, saying that they will incur, they will receive a greater condemnation in hell. So the Bible says there's levels of condemnation within hell. Luke 12, 47. Let me read this. This is, this is crazy. I read this yesterday and it, I've read it a thousand times, but it, 
it, it, it came alive in my spirit more than ever. Luke chapter, 20, Luke chapter 12, verse 47. And that servant who knew his master's will and didn't prepare himself according to do his master's will will be beaten with many stripes. And he who did not know his master's will yet committed things deserving of stripes shall, rebe shall be beaten with few stripes. For everyone to whom much is given from him, much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask the more. So the Bible says that those who know the word of God and still refuse to do it. You know, Billy Graham used to say, after you hear the gospel, you'll never be the same. You'll either accept Christ and live in peace, honor, and glory here on the earth and in eternity, or you'll refuse Christ and your refusal of Christ, because you, you have been exposed to the gospel, because you know you've come unto the accountability now of the word of God. The word makes you accountable for what you hear in the word. What you hear, what you understand from the Bible, you'll be accountable for that in the day of judgment. The Bible says those who knew the way and still chose to go the opposite way. They who knew my will and didn't prepare themselves accordingly will be beaten with many stripes. These are people who sit in church year after year and they're on their phones and there's no urgency in their heart and there's no change and there's no, there's no born again experience. There's no turning from the... They're just always learning, Paul said, and never coming to the knowledge of the truth. These are people who love knowledge and they've puffed up their minds with all kinds of theological traditions and theological terms. They can quote the word to you, but there's not been, the word hasn't transformed. They haven't received the word in their heart, which when it's implanted is able to bring transformation as a result. These people will be accountable for all that they know and they'll be beaten with many stripes. But those who, you know, people ask all the time, those who never heard the gospel, uh, those who have never heard the gospel, if they die, will they go to hell? Yes, unfortunately they do. But because they didn't know, they're not going to have the same level of torture that people who did know have. The reason why we know they're going to go to hell, because Ezekiel 3 says, if you go and warn the wicked to turn from their ways, and they don't turn, their blood is not required of your hand, their blood's on their hands. But if you don't go and warn the wicked... Their blood will be on your hands and they'll perish in destruction. So it doesn't say if you don't go and warn them, good. Because had you warned them, they would have had the choice to reject me. But now that they don't, they never heard the gospel, they just have automatic default make heaven. Let me tell you, hell is by default. Heaven is not default. Hell is default. Nobody's born a Christian and born again. Which leads me to my next thing. Do children go to heaven? If they die, yes, and I'll tell you why. Because they're, they have not come to an age, if they are not at the age of accountability, then they're not going to be accountable, even though there's sin in them, because all are born into sin. The gospel covers that, because they haven't come to the age of accountability, of actually understanding their depravity. But those who don't know God, Romans 1 says, they're actually still without accuse. Those who, excuse, those who haven't even, even heard the gospel. Romans 1 says they're still without excuse because God's invisible attributes are clearly seen through the things that He has made. And then it even says in Romans 3 that those who don't know the law, 
have actually become a law to themselves in that they know that murder is wrong. They know that stealing is wrong. They know these things. And as a result, they've become a law to themselves. And that's why they've come to the law of accountability. They've come to the point of accountability, rather. So there are degrees in, of punishment in hell. There is, the duration of hell is the same, but the degrees of punishment in hell can be different. And it goes the same with heaven. The duration of heaven is the same. It's eternity. The degrees of reward are different. There are many who will make heaven, but their works will be burnt up, and they'll not receive any much crowns other than the crown of life. But then there's others who will have many crowns bestowed on them because of that which they've done, that which they've done uh, on the earth. You know, Paul said it. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. He wasn't talking to unbelievers he was talking to christians there's two judgments in the bible there's the great white throne which is the judgment seat that god will um that every man will appear before god books will be open and the book of life will be open and everyone whose name is not found in the book of life will not make it and they'll be thrown into a lake of fire that's the great white throne judgment if you're in christ you're not going to be there however there's the bema seat of christ this is the judgment seat of christ this is where those who have accept, accepted Christ, who are born again, will be judged according to the deeds that we've done in the flesh. So all of that mumbo jumbo that people preach, that how many of you know, you know, like when we, when we get saved, we're never going to get judged at all. That's partially true. We're not going to be judged by God at the great white throne judgment, but we're going to come under the judgment seat of Christ. So that whole only God can judge me, you should be afraid of that. Only God can judge me. Because there's going to be a day you're going to have to come and give an account before Christ as to what we've done with the deposit of the gospel that He invested into us. Whether we just wasted our life living for you know retirement or whether we invested it appropriately living for the next life. Number four, characteristic of hell. It's a place of fire. Isaiah 66, 24, the Bible says the fire is not quenched. The flame never goes out. Matthew 5, 22 says that the Sheol, oh sorry, Matthew 5.22 says that anyone who calls his brother a fool will be in danger of hell fire. So that's referring to, to Sheol. That's referring to the place of torment. It doesn't say it's a place of bliss. You know, people say it all the time. You know, hell is going to be rock and roll. Hell's going to I want to go to hell because that's where all my friends are. I want to go to hell because that's where all the fun is going to be. That hell is going to be just this great rock and roll, roll party where it's just going to be God. Pretty much God's no longer going to bother us because of the sin that we indulge in. That's not what hell is going to be like. Biblically, hell is not a place of rock and roll. It's not a place of rest. It's not a place of partying. It's not a place of doing drugs all day and just enjoying uh, the bliss of, of, of eternity without God being on your back all the time. Hell is a place of hell fire. Matthew 18, 8 says, cast into hell fire. Cast into everlasting fire. These shall be cast into everlasting fire. Mark 9, 43 the Bible says that it's better that you should take your eye out and cast it out from you if it causes you to sin than that you should, be, you should go two eyes into hell fire where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Jesus wasn't actually saying that you should take your eye and pluck it out and cast it far from you. He was saying that if anything 
would send you to hell, cut it out from your life. No matter how drastic of a decision it might be to cut that thing out of your life. He wasn't saying to actually cut your hand off because even if you cut your right arm off, you'll sin with your left arm. So he wasn't saying physically mutilate your body. He was saying there's nothing in your life that's worth going to hell over. If you're watching pornography, cut it out from your life. There's nothing worth going to hell over. Making that few extra bucks at the end of the year because you evaded taxes and cheated the government is not worth going to hell over. John the Baptist told the Pharisees they were coming and to be baptized by him. He said, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruit worthy of repentance. So the gospel isn't believe and you're saved. It's believe and repent. Cut off the things that were sending you to hell. And now fill your life with things. Live your life in light of righteousness. Doing things. Not to make heaven, but now that I'm on my way to heaven, I'm not going to live like hell. I'm going to live as one whose citizenship is found in heaven. Revelation 20.10 says they'll be cast. These cowards. The Bible says cowards, sinners, those that indulge in witchcraft, the angry, the, angry, the immortal, the sexual immoral. They shall be cast into the lake of fire in brimstone. So hell is a place of fire. So anytime someone says, the worst thing about hell is not the fire. The worst thing about hell is going to be separation from God. They don't even know. Luke chapter 16. Let me read it. Luke chapter 16. I've been quoting it, but I'm going to read it. Because I'm going to show you how the worst thing about hell is not separation from God. Because if that was the case, people would be living in hell on earth. Because people are separate from God on the earth. And they still think they're happy and stuff, think that everything's nice and flower and daisies. So if separation from God was the worst thing about hell, then they're already experiencing that hell on the earth. The worst thing about hell is not going to be separation from God because many are living separate from God here on the earth. The worst thing about hell, listen to this, the rich man, there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every single day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs also came and licked his wounds, his sores, his wounds. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in anguish or I am tormented because of this flame. Abraham said, Son, remember in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise... Lazarus, evil things, and now he is comforted, and you are being tormented. So Abraham says, you know, this man was separated from God on the earth. He wasn't saved. And he says, you had your good things in life. You enjoyed luxury, and you fared sumptuously. He was separate from God. But now he crosses over into eternity, is, is now found in hell, carried away, sunken into hell, and he doesn't say, Father Abraham, I miss feeling the presence of God. He didn't have it before. He said, Father Abraham, let Lazarus come dip the tip of his finger in water so that he might put it in my tongue. Remember this, Lazarus was full of sores on the earth. And this man, in an effort to, 
achieve temporary relief was okay with Lazarus, who he had, who was like a, a, a sight for sore eyes on the earth. He would rather at least have that. Obviously, he didn't have leprosy or whatever sores he had on the earth in Abraham's bosom. But he was like, man, I'd rather take that finger that was full of sores, put on my tongue if it would mean temporary relief from these flames. So he didn't say the worst part about hell is separation from... He said the worst part. He brought it up. The very first complaint he had in hell was, God, I'm in torment because of these flames. Please give me relief. Abraham said, besides all this, between you and us, there's a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from you to here cannot and those from there cannot pass to us. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would at least send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. So he didn't say this place of separation from God. He said a place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, he'll repent. But he said to them, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. I heard someone preach on this, memento evangelist Tiff Shuttlesworth, and I want to bear its repetition here right now. There are three things in hell that should be in every Christian, and we see these three things in the rich man in hell. Three things in hell that should be in every Christian. Number one, compassion for the lost. Notice how the rich man in hell had a compassion for the lost, lest they also come to this place of torment. He wanted above all things that they never enter into this tormenting place that he, that he was in. He begged. He begged. There was a heart for his brothers that were still on the earth that didn't know that this place existed and said, Father Abraham, send somebody. There was a compassion. Number two, there, was a there were tears for the lost. The Bible says in being in agony, he cried. And then he begged Abraham saying, send someone to them to warn them lest they come to this place of torment. There's tears in hell. When's the last time you teared up and cried in praying for the lost? When's the last time rivers of water flowed from your eyes as you contended for the lost and dying, sighing, crying humanity that was on this, this conveyor belt this highway that was moving towards hell into an eternal torment without them even knowing when's the last time you shed tears for a lost and dying humanity. I'm sad to say, but it seems to me that there's more compassion and there's more tears and there's more prayers for the lost in hell than there is in many churches. Could there be more compassion for the lost in hell than there is in churches? Could there be more tears shed for the lost in hell than there is in churches and in Christians? Could there be more prayers offered up to God in hell for the lost than there is in churches? I'm not going to let someone in hell out pray me in contending and interceding on behalf of the lost here on the earth. This should tell you something. That you should spend time on a daily basis praying for those that don't know the Lord. And not just saying, Father, we just pray that you'd... There should be a pressure in your spirit. Not only praying that God would send. See, if all you do is pray for people to be saved, they will, you will pray and they will go to hell. God gave you two feet. 
One, and both are required to walk properly or else you fall and you're imbalanced. God didn't just give us the command to pray for the lost, but we're to preach to the lost. An unpreached gospel is no gospel at all. The gospel is good news. News is only effective when it is communicated. We're not just to pray for the lost. We're to pray and preach. Pray and preach. Pray and preach. And that's when we become effective Christians. There's a song written by Frank Sinatra many years ago saying, I did it my way. I did it my way. And I used to say, that must have, that's probably going to be the chant of hell. That's probably going to be the anthem of hell. I did it my way. And that's why they're there. But I was greatly wrong. The anthem of hell is God. Have mercy on others. Isn't it interesting that this rich man in hell, instead of saying, man, I can't wait for my brothers to be here, at least I'll have companionship. He would rather forfeit the companionship of his siblings in hell for eternity, knowing that he was going to be there forever. He'd rather forfeit an eternal companionship if it meant them not coming there. If it meant them avoiding it. So the worst thing about hell is not going to be eternal separation of God. It's going to be the torment, the physical torment, the mental torment. Think of the mental torment people have to go through. First of all, you don't even know where you're going. There's darkness that can be felt. Secondly, there's a flame that keeps burning, burning you up that never gets quenched. It's a consuming. It, it, it's, a, it's a fire that's hot, but it never consumes you. you it's like here... If someone burnt to death, they'd end up becoming ashes. In hell, you never turn to ashes. Then there's a maggot, which finishes my five characteristic traits of hell. And there are more, but these are for the sake of time, five that I've written down. There are maggots, maggots that don't die. Imagine this insect that keeps on clawing away and, and chewing away at your flesh, sucking away at you. Bible says in Job 21, 26, they lied down in dust and worms covered them. Speaking of hell, Isaiah 14, 11, this is a very descriptive passage on hell. Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 11, your pomp is brought down to Sheol and the sound of your, your strength. Actually, let me read from verse 9. Hell from beneath is excited to be to, about you. Hell from beneath is excited about you to meet you at your coming. Many people who've experienced like a near-death experience or have died and come back have all said the same thing. The moment I died and I descended, demons, demons would, would get a hold of me and drag me down and I had no strength to fight. They all said the same thing. The Bible says hell from beneath is excited about you to meet you at your coming. It steers up the dead for you, all the chief ones of the earth. It has raised up from their thrones, all the kings of the nations. They all shall speak and say to you, have you also become as weak as we? Have you become like us? So, like us? so there's going to be a, a state of helplessness, a weakness that you're not going to be able to fight it off. It's not like you're going to have the ability to climb out. There's going to be a weakness because strength comes from God. So if God's not there, there's a weakness that comes on you that's, that's unbeatable. Your pomp is brought down to Sheol, the sound of your string instruments. The maggot is spread under you and the worms will cover you. Isaiah 66, 24 says their maggots will never die. 
be a constant chewing away at your flesh and agony and pain as a result of the corruption of your flesh. But the thing is, your flesh never actually recedes. You never lose it all. So those are five characteristics of hell. And I want to finish this broadcast in a very practical way. How you never have to go there. How you can avoid hell. Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. People say, why do you preach on hell to try and get people saved? You know, that's just scare tactics. Shouldn't scare people into heaven. I read it before, Jude 23. Some, you should snatch them out, with fear, snatch them out of the fire. Pulling them out of the flames. So some people need to be shaken up. Some people need to be awakened. An evangelist is exactly that. It's an, it's an alarm, a siren. Like Joel 2 says, to blow the trumpet. To blow the trumpet and sound an alarm. So that men would no longer render garments, but render their hearts to God. Matthew chapter 3, listen to this. But when he saw the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, John the Baptist said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Who warned you to flee from hell? Therefore, bear fruit worthy of repentance. And don't think to say to yourself, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you, God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the tree. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. If you're going to avoid hell, number one, you need to get saved. You need to give your life to Jesus Christ. The Bible says God takes no pleasure in the death of the ungodly and the wicked, but rather that they should turn from their wicked ways and accept the free gift of life in Christ Jesus. They wanted to call down fire from heaven to consume that Samaritan village that refused to have Jesus pass through their town. And John and, uh, John and James, the sons of, sons of thunder, rose up and said, should we call fire down to consume them? Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you're of. For I wasn't sent to destroy people, but to save people. Jesus wasn't sent, sent to send you to hell. You were already on your way to hell. And God sent Jesus to make sure you never have to go there. See, that's the thing. People always ask that question. I've said it before on this broadcast. Why does a loving God send people to hell? He doesn't send anybody to hell. He does the exact opposite. He did everything in His power. Everything that He could do. To where there was no way, there was no way out of hell, there was no way out of sin, there was no way out of transgression. What we couldn't do, God did. So it shouldn't be, why does a loving God send people to hell? It should be, thank God we have a loving God that through Christ Jesus, we don't have to stay and go to hell. We have a way out of hell. God demonstrated His love towards us and that while we were still... In sin, he sent his son Jesus to die, shed his blood for us. He did everything he could do to make sure you don't spend eternity there. The only way to not do that, and the only way to not spend eternity there, is by giving your life to Jesus Christ. And then number two, I'll say the other way to avoid hell, is if you have given your life to Jesus Christ, I said it before, faith without works is dead. You have to bear works. We just read it. Bear fruit worthy of repentance. If you don't, if there's no evidence or proof of an inner change, 
then your conversion was fake. If your Christianity does not provide proofs, if it lacks proofs, then it's fake. If there's no desire to be more like Christ on a daily basis, whereby you're transformed into His image daily, then there, you haven't been truly born again. John said you are to bear fruit worthy of repentance. And he said the axe is laid at the root of the tree. But God doesn't want to cut it down and throw it into the fire. He gives you, that's, the axe is laid at the root of the tree for the entirety of your life. Because he gives people time to repent. Life in its simplicity is the period of time that God gives people to repent of their sin and then live lives worthy of the gospel unto which they are called. To live lives in holiness and in truth. Life is that period of time that God gives people time to repent and turn to Him and live the rest of their life for Him. So the axe is laid at the root of the tree and His desire, that's what, life is a period of grace and mercy. He doesn't cut you down. But the moment you die outside of Christ, then that's when the tree is cut down and He has no choice. But for you to go into, into uh, the Bible says... The, the, the tree is cut down and thrown into fire with an unquenchable fire. But God's will is not for you to be cut down and cut into, thrown into an unquenchable fire. God's will was clearly expressed in Christ when He didn't spare His own Son but delivered Him up for us all. That we live lives, like Paul said, walking, fully pleasing Him, bearing fruits of repentance, walking in a manner uh, worthy un- of the gospel into which we were called. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, It's no longer I who lives, Christ lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live for Him. Are you watching right now and you're not, you don't have absolute certainty that you're right, your life is right with God, that you're prepared to meet God? You remember I read it before, that we are to prepare ourselves to meet the Lord. The Bible says very clearly we're to prepare ourselves Now, in this time. Life is preparation for eternity. And the only way to prepare is to put on Christ. If you've never put on Christ, then you're not prepared. The moment you put on Christ, then God no longer sees you as a sinner sinner needing redemption. You're redeemed and you're now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And you're not destined to a sinner's hell. You come into a saint's heaven. The Bible says we're no longer to be counted strangers of the covenant. But fellow citizens of of the household of God and members. Fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Has there ever been a time in your life where you made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? Where you turned away from a sinful lifestyle, repented of sin and said, Lord, I'm going to live for you. I'm going to breathe for you. I'm going to work for you. I'm going to be what you want me to be here on the earth. I'm through living my own way. I'm preparing today. I I ask you for grace to wash me of my sin, to break me free from sin, and to empower me by your grace to walk in light of your word. Has there ever been a time where you have, by your own will and your own volition, detached yourself from sin? You know, the Bible says, be sure your sins will find you out. If it's not here on this earth, it'll be there. There's nobody that can escape the condemnation of hell. There's nobody that can escape the judgment that is to come. That's outside of Christ. 
There's no way. There's no, there's a million ways into hell. There's not one gate out. Once death happens. But there is a gate here. The Bible says, Jesus says, I am the true gate. He's the only gate out of hell and into heaven. Once death happens, there's no gate. There's no gate out. There's no second chances. There's no, re there's no probational uh, series that you're going to go through. Where you're going to come before the judge and plead with him one more time. Death is final judgment. What you've done here is, and what you've believed here is going to determine how you live there. So if you're watching right now and you've never given your life to Jesus, or maybe you have, but today you're coming home, I want you to pray this prayer with me from the bottom of your heart. Say this with me. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you that you spared me when you sent Jesus. Spared me from life without you. Spared me from, from hell in eternity. Spared me from living in the tyrannical, under the tyrannical power of the devil. From today, I receive the gift of Christ, the gift of salvation. I ask you to forgive me. Wash me clean. Fill me with your spirit. And where I was weak, make me strong. I turn to you today. Thank you for providing a way out. Thank you that I've passed from judgment into life today. I'll never be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I'd love for you to go on my website, salvationnow.ca. The first link that pops up is I just got saved. Fill it out, uh, the form. At the bottom of the page, there's a video I made for you, 35 minutes of Four things I would tell you now that you've been saved. As if we were in a coffee shop having a coffee together. These are four things I'd tell you right now. Uh, and it's going to help you. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.